0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the DOGS program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast all around the world on, as they call it, the World Wide Web. Yes, um, trademark Google, I think, Um, because we're owned by them at the moment. Um, I'm just being a little bit lefty here because we're on 3CR, 3 Community Radio, and I can say what I like and you can say that I'm wrong. That's the way communities work. It's a good discussion point. We are the DOGS which means that we don't go around barking at people, although many people would accuse us of that. We are the Australian Council, makes it sound proper, doesn't it? Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools. Now, in Australia, we have three types of school systems in in, in Australia. We have government schools, which are the only ones that um, the state government and the federal government and government should fund, because their name's on the front. If your name's on the door, then you should pay for it, and they do. But then there's there's, there's the Catholic school system, which is paid for entirely by the Catholic... Oh, no, hang on, that's not. That's also paid for by the government, um, even though there's Catholic on the door. Don't know why. Never worked it out, and the fact that it is, I think, is wrong, which is why I'm on the radio to tell all you all the reasons why it's wrong. Um, and there's the independent school sector, They're independent, except, of course, they're not independent. They wouldn't exist if it wasn't for, you guessed it, the government, which funds it as well. So we have all these parents chasing these schools around, not quite sure which ones are enrolled, but they're all government schools. And we think that the only schools that should be paid for by taxpayers, of course, are the ones we get to put our name on the door, which are government schools. The other private schools, the independent ones and the Catholic ones, um, well, they can do what they like, as far as I'm concerned, as long as they teach good reading writing and arithmetic, but um, it's not my job to fund them, and that is our major point. We think there was a great wrong in Australian society, and we think it needs fixing. And so every week on Saturday at twelve o'clock, we come and explain to you why. And one of the things we're going to do today is talk about government schools in a crisis. We're all in a crisis today. Today so we're going to kid it head on. COVID-19, the coronavirus, the stuff we're all in the middle of. Here at 3CR, uh, we're surrounded by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people who are now becoming infected with the virus. Never before have I lived in a state of emergency where the emergency is so real. And at the moment today, the government wants government schools to open and educate kids in this in this terrible situation. Um, Now, Jean has a well-famous press release, which she'll tell you about. But we're going to talk about the effects that these things have, um, not just on me and not just on you, unless, of course, you happen to be a principal or you happen to be a teacher or you happen to be a cleaner or you happen to be a child in a school. It's open today in the middle of this state of emergency. It's, it's, one of the, it's one of the strange things we'll also be going through. So we're going to interview some people today because, quite frankly, um, what because what, if kids aren't going to school and many aren't, what are they doing at home if they're at home school? This strange, mysterious thing that all I hear about is necessarily if is, is from the parents' perspective, but I'm interested in what the kids have to say as well, and we'll be hearing from a kid. But before we go any further, I have to, with great excitement, introduce to you the world-famous Jeans press release. Now, press releases are press releases that everyone knows about them, but these press releases are something special. Because today, as we often have, we are privileged to have the press release shared with us by the person who wrote it because these are Jean's famous Mm -hmm. press release. This is her 852nd one that she's done. And you know what? She didn't do them all yesterday. She's been doing them for decades, and they're worth a read. If you don't get the chance um, to go on our website at www.adogs.info, that's okay, because she's going to read it out for you now in dulcet tones as we sit here, or as you sit in your car or your lounge room, or wherever it is you are podcasting, happily um, isolated in the snowfields of Buller, or perhaps you're listening to the podcast um, in some strange and exotic foreign country, which I haven't been to yet. Don't even know. But without further ado, I would like to introduce Jean, who will be reciting from her press release number 852.
1: Thank you, Robert. <laughs> that was some introduction <laughs> to if education is just a commodity in the marketplace, what are teachers and students in times of plague? Are they usable and disposable? Neoliberal ideology espoused by the private sector in education is in hoc to free-market approaches to schooling. And you might have noticed that in the last week, our born-again Keynesian treasurer and prime minister have reverted and saying how wonderful uh, Reagan and Thatcher are. (laughs) So we can't trust them. If the education they spruik in glossy marketing brochures, these private schools... And if you want to have a look at their kinds of advertisements, just get the um, weekly times for starters and have a look at the um, centre pages which are just chock-a-book full of glossy advertisements for private boarding schools. For them, education is for sale. It's a commodity. But where do teachers and students fit into a commodity mentality? Are they disposable items when they're no longer of any financial value? Now, Trevor Cobald of the Save Our Schools Group has reproduced an interesting report from a gentleman called Peter Green, who was a United States high school English teacher with a blog called Kermudge education. Now, Peter Green writes an education column also for Forbes magazine, and he describes on his website the latest version of commodification of education products in the United States. And we're referring to this on the dogs because whatever happens in the United States is usually imitated. In Australia by Canberra policy gurus. Now this Peter Green tells us about a report from this think tank called the American Enterprise Institute. And this think tank comes from the part of the education reform spectrum which is devoted to free market approaches to education. And it treats education is a commodity like a house or a piece of jewellery. Now, that really beggars imagination, doesn't it? Mm. But he actually quotes from a woman who has written this report and that's what she says. She gives specific examples of houses and jewellery and antiques and cars and boats when she says, think about the last time you bought or sold a pricey item chances are, had the item appraised by an independent appraisal firm to provide peace of mind to both buyer and seller. So she's suggesting that education is an expensive item which should be appraised by specialists in the area. So this think tank is after jobs for the boys, for people who appraise the uh, product. So more testing. (laughs) Yes, yes. Oh, of course, more testing, yes. Education is expensive, she writes, and families, she argues, should be able to easily acquire real-time external audience of their children's learning. Wow. Now, this has always been a missing piece of the free market education group. Parents should be able to go shopping in an education marketplace, they argue, and their education should be aided by clear data about the relative quality of their choices. And that's why we have that My School website, which is very useful for this purpose, except that it's very useful for those of us who want to know where our money's going too. Mm. So this lady, who is a free marketer, let's call her what she is, is offering a variation on the theme. The parents should have money also to hire an appraiser in the as yet non-existent marketplace of education, quality appraisers. Jeez. In the same way as if you wanted to buy a very expensive piece of jewellery, you would go to a jeweller to see how much it was worth or a valuer. So we're going to have this new uh, group of people in the marketplace of education who are, if you like, valueless. Extraordinary. So, yeah. Now, there are several problems with this mentality. And don't for a moment think that this isn't going on in Australia, because it is. Education is not a commodity. It's not a thing that can be weighed and measured for value, like a truckload truckload of pork shoulders or sheets of plywood or even houses or even um, jewellery. And education's not a car or a house. When you buy a car or a house, particularly a second-hand car, you do get somebody to look at it to say that it's okay before you put your money up front. But education's not a car and it's certainly not a house. And often its value or effectiveness is not revealed until years after the education has been completed. And if appraisers are necessary for parents to hold providers accountable, which in a free market means to vote with their feet, what is really happening now in Australia as as uh, we see parents voting with their feet all right? into public schools because they are deciding that the private sector is actually not value for money, certainly not value for taxpayers money. No. Now, all of those arguments can be um, developed and right. Robert later in this program will talk more about the idea that education is a commodity like a piece of jewellery, a car or a house. But unfortunately, in these COVID times, the lives of teachers and students are being placed in hot to the market, especially in places like America, because they have been commodified. And it's not surprising to discover that Mike Pence, who, if Mr Trump gets the COVID um, virus, he will become the new president of America, Mike Pence visited a classroom of masked fourth graders at a North Carolina private school. It's a private school where they're actually masked. And he promised sufficient resources. At the same time as President Donald Trump and the United States Education Secretary Betsy Voss are threatening to withhold federal funding from K to 12 schools that don't allow all their students to return to physical classrooms. Now, we all know how this virus works. It likes groups of people
2: Hmm.
1: so that it can become commodified and multiply and flourish. And classrooms and teachers in them are fair game. Hmm. Now Joe Biden has slammed Trump over the threats and argued that insufficient resources have been provided for teachers and others. And, but DeVos said that students in North Carolina and around the country need to return to the classrooms. And she thinks she can get away with this because North Carolina has always been Republican. It was a great slave state in the days gone by. And DeVos has also announced 180 million in grants for North Carolina and 10 other states to serve students during the pandemic. But the governor in North Carolina at the moment is a Democrat. His name is Roy Cooper, and he has announced that public schools may offer a mix of both online and in-person instruction. Their districts can choose to offer fully remote learning. We don't respond to those kind of threats, Cooper said in a July 14 years conference of the Trump administration's consideration of withholding federal funds. Now Trump, DeVos and Pence just might be forgetting that teachers and above all parents are actually human beings. They're flesh and blood. They live, they flourish, they don't flourish, and they die. And they have not yet been completely commodified unless they're slaves. And they might decide that their lives and those of their children are worth more than responding to financial threats. Now, that is our press release, and we're going to have a bit of a break and we've got something a little bit special for you because we want to prove that human beings are not commodities. They are flesh and blood and they speak and they have ideas and education is not a commodity.
2: 3CR is your station in solidarity and struggle. We've been with you since 1976 and we are here to stay.
0: Throughout June, we're running a station appeal.
2: We need the financial support of our listeners to stay independent, community-owned
0: and radical. Jump online and give what you can. Go to 3cr.org.au. Do you
3: need to renew your subscription? Make a donation.
4: Or pass on some information to a programmer.
3: We can't get to the phone all the time right now, but we're still here. You can call us on 03 9419
5: 8377. Each weekday between 1 and 5pm and talk to a staff member.
3: That's 03 9419 8377.
1: 3CR Community Radio,
3: here to stay. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity.
1: To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. Well, here we are back at the dogs program and we've got something a little bit special because education is about real people. It's about, first of all, our children who are home at the moment doing remote learning we've got a little boy called Angus who's going to tell you what it's like so over to Angus one thing I love
6: about my school at home is the fact that the teachers are really nice and every time if there's something a session you start a session then there's something at the bottom where of Webex, and at the time that's due, like ten thirty, eleven thirty, nine thirty to nine fifty, then you can click on the link and you can ask questions about your certain activity. How much does support do your teachers at school give you in your home learning? Well, I mean, quite a lot. Whatever you need help for.
2: So what would a day of homeschooling look like? What happens at the start of the day?
3: At the start
6: of the day day. is you have a WebEx for like 10 minutes to be like, hey, here's the day. You have like a daily poll where you can ask a question. And today's question was, if you were an animal, what would you be? I chose eagle because that means you can fly.
2: (laughs) And what other subjects do you do in the day of homeschool?
6: At homeschool, I... I can do some reading, which is just filling out a journal because I'm reading a book right now, Maze Runner. And there's also Passion Project, where it's all about your passions. And then there's Wellbeing, which is, like, every Friday at 12.30 or something. I think there's a Wellbeing thing where everyone in Year 6 or our class comes to a WebEx for, like, fun and stuff. And um, sometimes there's, like, a competition or a game that the whole grade can participate in, and and you can even put your hand up. It's fun. (laughs) And also, you have some maths, which is a travel agent, where you're a travel agent and your client, you have to plan their flights, and you have to plan how much money it costs, what the route is, the angles of the route, the coordinates of where you're going, the temperatures and the altitude mm-hmm. of your flights. What are you studying in humanities at the moment? In humanities, we're studying Aboriginal culture, because, and it's really fun. What have you learned? I learned about in Tiwi, I'm pretty sure, I mean Noongar, there's this thing called a honey squirrel, and that honey squirrel, it acts like that because it, because it's so small, it clings onto the trees that it inhabits. And they suck the pollen and they're hanging and they're so light, their body gets covered in pollen. And whenever they go to new flowers, it pollinates them like a bee. When you go back to normal school, are you going to miss homeschool? Yes.
2: <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to tell us?
6: Like, you can do what you want <clears throat> at your own pace, and, like, you have a week to finish your task once it's been set to you. Do you feel
2: you learn as much at home school as you would at normal school?
6: Maybe, maybe not. Mm. Okay.
5: Mm. And are you looking forward to getting
6: back to school when it starts again? Yes and no, <laughs> because I won't get as much time... I wouldn't get much breaks in between, just two. But after you complete a task here, you can have a half an hour break. It's really fun. And if there's one thing you can say to all your teachers and all the effort they're putting in for homeschool, what would you say? Thanks.
1: Yay. Well, it sounds as if Angus's um, teachers, school teachers, are doing a tremendous job, uh, not only with that little boy, but also with all the other children. There's a lot of children in this school and they're all in the same position. And if you think about it, it is a phenomenal job that our teachers are doing at this point in time in Victoria and in Australia. But um, this little boy has also been dealing with other teachers. They have been music teachers, and there's a lot can be done now on remote learning. So he's going to play you a piece of music that he has been learning. And he's been very busy indeed. So once again over to Angus, who has the ambition I think to be at least a museo in his spare time.
6: Bookie Rock by Karen Bailey.
0: for and why you're fighting for it and all you have to do is listen to a bit of that and you go yeah look I don't know how old he is but like I've got a feeling he's under 12 so that's that's a kid having a go using his um his time uh you know locked up against the virus probably much more effectively than I am in fact I'm, in fact, I'm pretty sure I are. kids are better than grown-ups in so many ways you welcome back to the dogs program. We are the defenders of government schools and defenders of kids like that who are having a go because he goes to a government school, Angus. He certainly goes to a government school. That's definitely worth pointing out. And the support he's getting in isolation is actually quite spectacular, as you heard him say himself. Very happy. He is comfortable and happy with the world that that has been made for him by the government school system, and, of course, his very loving parents. Now, I want to return to a lot of what Jean was talking about, about how do you actually... What's the lens that you look at education with? What are the, what are the numbers that you use to measure it? Do you use numbers to measure it? I mean, does your VCE score mean exactly the same thing as the number that scrolls by in the stock market when it comes to measuring a person or measuring a company. Now, I think these are questions that are worth pursuing. Certainly now we're in these, what I call, horrible covid times. And at the risk of, I don't know, giving a bit of a polemic lecture, I think the fact that we're in a coronavirus helps us understand what the worth of education is. Now, from my point of view, it's really hard to understand what on earth is going on with what I should be doing with my life to protect myself and others from the plague that is surrounding me. I listen to the news, I listen to the Premier, I listen to the medical advisors. And still I go, so do I have to wear a mask? I ask myself, and the answer to that one now is yes. Yes, the law, I do. Can I drive to the shops? Yes, if they're the nearest shops, that's the answer. But can can I go for a nice little drive out to Bendigo to buy a particular type of sausage that I like? Which is, which is true, by the way. That, 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 that's not rhetorical, that, that's real. Um, the answer is no, no, I can't. Uh, that's completely, you know, if policeman pull me over and give me a whack and great, fine, oh, oh, I say to myself, so I can't do that, but I can do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do that, and I can't do that, but I can do this. It's complicated. Now, a lot of people today go, it's too complicated. They should make it simpler, whoever they are. And my answer is no, no. I have become used to the fact that most things that people are telling me in the media or just all over the place, they're trying to sell me something. It's in their interest to make it simple. You know, it's in their interest to make it easy for me to pay for things online. It's in their interest for me to understand the core concepts of some product or company within the first five seconds of watching their ad. The world has been designed to make things simpler and simpler for me to understand so that I will become more and more um, available to these ideas. And when the virus comes along, it's not complicated. It's not simple. When the virus comes along, the way it's transmitted, we found out, is complicated. The way a virus works in different cultures is complicated. It works differently in Italy than it does in Australia because our cultures and ways of being are different. This is complicated stuff. And all of a sudden, I'm forced to deal with complicated ideas and seek out information which is not always reliable from sources that aren't just the one place anymore. Now, I'm forced to do this. Some people get really angry and go, this isn't fair, why is it so hard? Well, their first point, this isn't fair, I absolutely agree with. Viruses aren't fair. Who dies and who lives? This is not a question of fairness anymore. The world is not designed for me to understand it. The world is now a place where I must seek knowledge, delve into the complications for my own benefit, become frustrated, but then resilient and overcome it to know more. The answer. Put simply, he said ironically, is that it's complicated. Education, the value of education, how do you put a number on it? The answer to that question, if anyone is being honest, is it's complicated. For hundreds and hundreds of years, human beings have worked out a system whereby I can judge the value of BHP by understanding one number, what they're worth on the stock exchange, each share. The whole concept of what a share is and what money is and what a company are can be distilled to one number. That is a masterful exercise in both social and mathematical engineering. I applaud people who try to make things that simple. If I want to know if a company's going to go bankrupt or not, I can make a guess, educated guess, based upon one number, which is the value of their shares on the stock market. Now, many people like this way of looking at things and appreciate things being made simple. But education can never be distilled to one number. As much as we would love to to know the idea that I've just paid $500,000 for my child's education and their VCE ATAR is 87.5, I have achieved value for money because the school I sent them to got them an ATAR which is higher than they would have received in an opportunity-cost-benefit relationship if they'd gone to a different school, blah, blah, no, it's complicated. You cannot distill what an education is for a child by one number. I would, add,
2: on I would add that um, you, you can't distill education into a number for a society. It's not just what it is to a child, but what it is to a society, to have everyone to have access to an education, an equal access. What that even not mean to a co- cohesive society. It's not just what it means to the students. It's not just what it means on the stock market. Imagine a society where where people weren't taught how to critically think, oh, hang on, we're living in one.
0: Right now. Right Completely now. right, Dar. And that's why I was talking about the virus. Because when people approach the idea of the virus and what they should do, they go, Why isn't it simple? Then they go, this is too hard. Then they go, oh, why listen to anyone? It's like saying politics. They're both as bad as each other. That's not a sane response to an emergency situation. If you have that response in an emergency situation, you are so much more likely to die in a virus. It's just that simple. If you go, this is this is a mess, this is really complicated, I don't know what to do, but persist in getting information that helps you that is correct, and by the way, is correct is an important bit because mm. just getting information um, doesn't work. You have to discriminate. So I'm not going to turn off my 5G phone and take my mask off <laughs> uh, because 5G causes the coronavirus. Do you know what I mean? These... You you, you have to persist. This is a time when all societies can be judged by their responses. And quite frankly, there is a country across the Pacific Ocean called the United States, and I would argue that its education system has failed it generationally because many people are acting in a way that they have no interest in understanding anything. Because you have to have an – I'm talking on the radio right now or on a podcast right now to people that if you disagree with me, which is a perfectly reasonable thing to do, you have to disagree with me. You have to do this. You have to disagree with me by creating a counter-argument. They're all as bad as each other. It's too hard. Stop being a smart-ass is not an argument.
2: It's a cop-out. I don't have
0: to listen to that. And I'm sorry, when it comes to education, it's the same thing. Your your ATAR score, your VCE score is in fact the value of your education. If someone says that to me, I'll say, no, it's not. It's more complicated. And what you're saying is so much more important again, which is the layer on top, which is to be surrounded by educated people is to be safe. It is to be safer from crime. It is to be safer from plagues. It is to be safer from people doing stupid things with other people's money. It really, really is. Now, to go back to originally, um being at the beginning, mentioned Trevor Cobalt, um, and Trevor Cobalt has come across this report, which argues against what I'm saying. It's saying that we need assessors to assess and distill the value of education into a number if possible. Now, policymakers couldn't wrap their heads around the size and depth of the problem when they came to it. And, indeed, the dimensions. And, Dale, your point about, well, what about the social dimension of education? It's not just a whole bunch of people with numbers attached at the tops of their heads, like some, uh, what was it, social benefit scale that they have in China, which I don't want to get into because that's really, really scary. But if you are interested in China, your social worth is attached to you as a number, and if your number score goes down, you can't catch buses anymore. Your ticket just goes away because you're not a good enough person within the societal context. So, yes, there's some pretty scary things going around, not just on Black Mirror, uh, which is a television program which has a dystopian episode about such things. But I digress. Um, there's these arguments that the distilling to a number is a goal that's worth pursuing because the point of distilling a number for BHP means that people can make money. The point of distilling, making, making money, so the point of distilling information and education to one number has only one purpose and that is so people can make money out of education and it can be commodified which goes to what Jean was talking about before. Jean, do you have anything to add to that?
1: Yes, I'm inclined to agree Robert and uh, of course this was what was often done in times gone by with the IQ test. Uh, Children had a number put on them, even when they were 10 and they were separated out as being special. Uh, But even in that system, yes, me too, but in that system there was the understanding that actually children develop at different rates and a child who might appear to be very intelligent when they're 6 or 10 uh, may not be nearly as intelligent or even as sensible very often as uh, when they're 16 and that children uh, there are late developers, uh, and people develop, uh, particularly their brains develop, perhaps all their lives. So um, that that figure that was put on people in after the Second World War and during the Second World War um, has perhaps caused more trouble than enough. I think it's time that we left a lot of these figures behind. Historically, the some of the worst um, Times in Educational History in Australia was the latter part of the 19th century uh, from about 1880 to 2000 where teachers were actually paid on the results of their students who had payment by results and they would love to bring that in again. Um, yeah, look, they have. Yes, they have their party, yes. And all of this emphasis now on quantification rather than qualification is actually taking us back uh, several hundred years. And, and I think this is a big worry. And parents and students are the ones that will suffer greatly uh, in the immediate term, but it's the society that in the long term suffers. And this is why Australia is falling behind in the international race as far as its education and also its economy is concerned.
0: Well, in this paper, whose author was Burke, I mean, you, you mentioned this earlier, Mama's but to remind you, a paper has been written about the benefits of commodifying education. It's written by a woman called Burke. But the free marketeers and Burke argue uh, it would require actually a whole discussion about actually changing what schools are for. It's that fundamental. What are schools for? Because currently in Australia, public schools in particular have a mission, however imperfectly uh, put into practice, but the mission of a public schools schools, and I know you say it is what... Jean, can you tell me what you think the mission of public schools is?
1: Uh, well, I define, we define a public school as being public in purpose and outcome. Uh, the children are given the skills to survive in a pretty um, difficult society and they need to be given the skills of reading and writing and arithmetic initially. Um, they do need to have skills. But as well as that, there are all kinds of levels of both thinking critically but also being sociable, learning to live in a cohesive society. I
0: would add to that, I would add to that, Jane, that public schools have a mission to educate every child Correct. in the country. Correct. This idea of commodifying education says, well, if some kids are too hard to educate, the amount of money you put in for an intellectually disabled child will never garner the same returns as the money you put in to educate a inverted you know, normal child, then that is a poor investment. So don't make it. Mm. There is no point. If the benefits you reap within a commodified system are, then you would have to change the mission of public schools, which are to educate every child. And you go, well, what happens to those children? The people who commodify say, well, that's not my problem. That's the
1: not. Really frightening. a
0: question, thing, really, That's really also question
1: to Sorry, the really frightening thing about commodifying human beings, putting a number on them, if you like, is the end point of that, which is slavery. Yeah. Actually enslaving people and putting a price on them. And these ideas, these extreme marketeering ideas, are coming out of a country yeah. which. In fact, had slavery, was based on slavery, and they are at the moment in great turmoil because the descendants of those slaves are still being discriminated against. I think this is what is so frightening about going down this, this uh, road and talking in this way about other human beings and their education.
0: Well, I think it's, I mean, I'd like to end this discussion because I, I think it's, it's well worth talking about, but I think we've picked it apart quite a lot. Thanks, Dale and Jean, for that. But I'd like to end it by saying that our treasurer has now decided that he's a great fan of Margaret Thatcher, who is quite famous for saying there is no such thing as society. There's just individuals and personal responsibility. And within that context, that's individuals, each of whom have a number over the top of their head. Invisible, as though it might seem, to the naked eye, their number is their worth as a commodity. And they must, of course, in a place that has no society, compete for limited resources, which I would say, in the middle of this current crisis, in the middle of a time when cooperation is our only pathway to anything like survival, Individuals fighting each other for resources is exactly what the virus wants. <laughs> That's how a virus survives. And I think on that note, I think we should have some messages because we you are listening to 3CR, which is the community radio station, we'll be back with more after this. You can
2: see that this country is covered in the blood of Aboriginal people the length and breadth of it.
5: Australia is a part of an undeclared war and a secret invasion, and it began 250 years ago, this year. Now we have a country that's built on lies, deceit, fraud, propaganda, and race
2: hatred indoctrination. Now it's been 250 years of us being oppressed in our own land, brutally. We might be oppressed, but we understand what freedom is, and we fight for it every day, and we've resisted this occupation since day one. And I predict colonialism, capitalism, imperialism is going to get knocked out cold by about mid this year.
3: 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate,
6: go to 3cr.org.au
3: qualifications their pay their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this
4: government productive of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education
0: Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world
5: and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public school in the world
3: it's still not good enough that kids with disability miss out <laughs>
4: is not, for Our is
2: not for you're listening to the dogs the defense of government schools for on the free
3: the cr the TV. TV. isolated quarantined need some essentials but can't leave the house or just having a hard time dealing with everything at the moment. Queer Aid NARM is a new mutual aid group of organized volunteers. We're here, we're queer, and we've got your back. Whether or not that's how you identify, nobody should be suffering because capitalism or the state didn't provide what they needed. That's why we're working to strengthen our communities through solidarity. Put in a request for help and we'll match you with a volunteer in your area who can either pick up groceries or other essentials for you, help you run errands, cook meals for you, or check in with how you're going. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, or if you want to join the volunteer list, find us on QueerAidMelbourne.org or search for us via Facebook, COVID-19 Queer Aid Nam, Melbourne. So tell your family and your friends, and don't forget your neighbours. That's org, a 3CR supporter.
0: Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on AM Dial or Podcast. Through the www's at, well, you can get at, at, at the website for 3CR, 3cr.org.au, or indeed our website, which is... Um, a dogs, one word, a dogs dot info. But without further ado, I've been talking about cares, I've been talking about society, about a little bit of society that really, really cares. A little subset called principles. School principles. State school principles. Would you be one now? Not on your life. Imagine the responsibility. It must be, well anyway. They've got something to say about this, and I'd like to throw over to Dale to tell us more.
2: Thank you, Robert. Yes, I've got an article here by Adam Carey uh, titled Principals Demand End to -to Face-to-Face Classes as School Closures Grow. The Union for State School Principals has urged the Andrews government to abandon face-to-face classes for students in Year 11 and 12 and in specialist schools and return to remote learning in Victoria's COVID-19 lockdown zones. More than one in ten Victorian secondary schools were closed on Monday after being linked to a recent coronavirus infection, with most of the affected schools located in Melbourne's north and west, according to a list published by the Department of Education. or Downs College has been forced to shut three times this year due to a positive case. The list of closed schools grew from 44 on Monday morning to 58 by the afternoon including Keeler Downs College, which was forced to shut down on Monday for the third time this year. Other new closures include Melbourne's Girls' College in Richmond, Auburn High School in Hawthorne East, Cheltenham Secondary College, Epping Secondary College and Gisborne Secondary College. The principal of Gisborne Secondary College, which is just outside Melbourne's lockdown zone, but has many students who attend from within it, has asked staff and students to wear masks before the government adopted the same policy. The schools within the Parkville and Malmesbury Youth Justice Centres were also listed as closed on Monday. The growing number of coronavirus-related closures led to the Australian Principals Federation to call for an immediate return to flexible learning for all students in Metro Melbourne and Mitchell Shire. The Principals Union also lashed the Department of Health and Human Services staggeringly poor management of positive cases in schools, claiming that schools had been left waiting for days on advice for how to handle closures and contact tracing. Federal President Julie Podbury said principals has had lost confidence in the Health Department. Extreme delays in decisions being communicated to school principals about closure and contact tracing has damaged many hard-won relationships in schools. Ms. Podbury
0: said. "That's amazing though. That's absolutely extraordinary. Would you be a, I mean imagine being a principal and you've got a positive case of COVID-19 in your school? Teacher, cleaner, kid. Hmm. Any of the three? You call the Department of Health saying what should I do, and you wait three days.
2: It's amazing. You have to
0: spend three days. Just imagine what that would be like. It's
2: amazing. amazing.
0: Uh, what would you do?
2: Yeah, well, what could you do? I mean, it wouldn't it be part of your duty of care to shut it down until you until you had advice, you know? But yep. but the principals aren't even given that as an option. So I don't understand how it go, Doesn't go against the duty of care that they have to sign when you become a teacher. Yep.
0: I think many principals just are. They're just going, no, I'm, I'm, that's it. I'm not having these people I know and love and care for who are under my chest, and they just do it. And then the permissions are given later. It has to be that way. Mm. If I was that principal, I would just come up and say, do you know what I'm doing? You're not going to give me any advice. I'm going to close my school down now. Yep. You'll sort this out later. That, Cause to do, and if, and if, if they threaten me with my job, well, I mean, who knows? Who knows what goes in, in, in the corridors of power? But imagine being put in that. Imagine going to bed that night. Mm. You wouldn't. I just think it's a, because principals have been given autonomy and choice in terms of what they do with their schools, but they get, come at this one time.
1: Mm.
0: It's an emergency and just the position that these people, these human beings are being put in, because they are in positions of great responsibility. Um, yep, shut it down. That's, that's it. I, which is why I think they're saying this now, mm. because most of the kids aren't there. It's just 11s and 12s and people with special needs, and they're going, do you know what? We're not having this on us. It's actually not fair. No. If a child dies, because I'm allowing this to happen, while you know almost 800 people uh, uh, get the virus every day, seven almost it, it's, it'll get up to 7,000 of people in this state are supposed to um, have been diagnosed with it and are in hospital or in isolation or well, supposed to be in isolation, because a couple of days ago I was told that 130 people who should have been quarantining weren't home that day. <laughs> So I don't know where – if I was a principal, I'd say, no, nah, no, nah, I'm just shutting this whole thing down. Everything's remote. And do you know what? If, if, if we have to double up on VCE next year, that's, that's a small price to pay. Mm, yeah. If we don't get the number, the commodity number for our year 12 students on top of their invisible – you know, invisibly on top of their heads by the end of this year, do you know what? boo sucks. That's not what education is worth education is not worth the death of a child, any child. It's worth a lot. But if I can avoid it, I'm sure these principles are saying we're not going. To, I mean, what do you think, Dar?
2: Well, I think, you know, it's one of the most difficult positions anyone uh, who has, you know, vocationally, you know, is drawn to, to educate children and who cares about the welfare of children. It's one of the most untenable positions to be put in. You know it's unenviable, and they're certainly um it's certainly thankless you know i it's like you said before, it's complicated. could I have my two pennies worth There's no,
1: you oh, yes, Jane. yes. And it's not and not just the children who's whose lives are in danger, it's also the teachers and the uh, cleaners and anybody who's near that school, even parents, however. However, there is another thing that should be said, uh, and that is the people who, who, in times gone by, would be held responsible and should be making the decisions, and those are the bureaucrats at the centre. But they have been underfunded. The central organisations, both health and educational, have been underfunded for many, many years. And we are now seeing how this centralisation should work and isn't working very well in this country. It yep. was our strong point
2: 40 yep. years ago. Certainly no, not anymore. Yeah. Okay, well, that's all we've got time for this week. We've been
0: listening to the Dodge program. Yeah. No, it is, isn't it, Doug? Because we're coming to the end of the program now. We, 3CR has no more than education to talk about. I look forward to the rest of the programs this afternoon. Um, we've been listening to the DOCS programs on 3CR, of course, 855 on the AM dial and podcast on the WWW at 3cr.org.au but it's also available this podcast I mean if you're listening to it you know this already but at our own website www.adogs.info which links to the 3CR website look it's been it's been a heavy week and um, we wish you the best of luck um, and not just luck we wish you the best of care persist just because things are hard doesn't mean you don't you don't do them and finding out what you need to do to keep those around you safe will be rewarded by those around you who will give you the care and attention that you yourself need. And that's one of the good things about this virus, I suppose. We have to care for each other. But until then, it's bye for now.
4: Joe says, I am standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead. Says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's the